Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. In this edition, we're previewing what's expected to be a chaotic season in Oregon's outdoors and talking about how to navigate wildfire closures, permits, drought, while also highlighting some great places to visit during this strangest of summers. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, David, so it is summer here in Oregon. For sure. The calendar might not say that, but the temperature has already cracked 90 degrees multiple times, and we're basically off to the races as far as Oregonians flooding into the state's outdoors. Now, last week, we published a series of stories about what to expect this summer, and look, it's kind of a lot. There are a collection of unprecedented things all colliding at once this summer. So to name just a few, we've got the largest wildfire closures in state history, We've got a sweeping new permit system for the state's most popular wilderness areas. We've got a deepening drought. And most importantly, we've got a COVID-19-fueled boom of people headed outside. Now, just one of those items maybe wouldn't be a big deal. We've seen droughts in past years, for example. But you bring all of these things together, and we're looking at a pretty interesting summer. The land managers and the sources that I talk to have all used words like bonkers or unprecedented or chaotic or wonky. Like, David, what's your feel uh, so far on kind of where we are as a state and what's going to happen this summer? You know, I think people, you know, whether it's actually happening or not, kind of see the finish line maybe in the pandemic. All the the sort of repressed things that they had been wanting to do the last year, they're just kind of busting out into the world, looking to sort of return to normal. Um, you know, and as vaccination rates continue to climb, and hopefully if they don't stall out, more counties can drop down to lower risk levels. And that kind of paves the way for reopening businesses, um, allowing bigger gatherings again, bigger events like graduations and and things like that sort of are starting to return. So, you know, it makes sense that, you know, people are going to sort of want to celebrate that by just heading outside and and making the most of things. Yeah, what I've what I've heard from people, uh, the land managers, especially who are preparing for this summer, is that we have some of the weirdness of COVID-19 and the wildfires baked in. At the same time, we're like hurtling towards, you know, 2018 or 2019 style crowds out there. So it's like these two contrasting things coming together at the same time where people are really wanting to be outside and feel like they can be outside. While at the same time, we still have like these this weirdness that there's just a large chunk of areas where you can't go and how those things come together is it's not entirely clear. It's kind of going to be a work in progress this year. Well, and especially, you know, just with the wildfires still super fresh in our minds and kind of hurtling again into drought, it's there's a lot of a lot of concern out there. Yeah. But look, I mean, this the goal of this podcast isn't to bum you out or focus on all these negative things that might impact our beloved places this year. Instead, what we're going to do is frame this from the perspective of someone planning a trip and all the things you might want to think about before popping into the car and taking, you know, hours-long trips. We'll talk about the places that are closed and how to avoid them. We'll talk about how to 
you know, steer clear of the worst crowds and what to expect in fire burned areas. Towards the end, I'll highlight some of the places that I'd love to travel this year because it's sort of a perfect moment to explore places you might not have visited in the past to kind of expand beyond your typical comfort bubble. All right, so Zach, what's the first thing you're thinking about before hitting the road this summer? Well, unfortunately, the first thing to consider is whether a place is even opened. I mentioned it in the intro, but the wildfire closures this summer are like nothing Oregon has ever seen. The Labor Day fires burned over 1 million acres in Western Oregon, and almost all of those acres remain closed on public land due to concern over safety like falling trees and things like that. There are major closures outside of Portland, Salem, Eugene, Roseburg, and down along the Oregon and California border. That's a big area. Yeah, and these really aren't, you know, limited to a few sort of trails here and there. This is entire recreation areas just completely closed off for, you know, kind of an indeterminate amount of time. We don't really know. And it may end up being a little easier to decipher because instead of, you know, like a trail closed here or there, there is just entire areas not open to visitors still. Yeah. Um, so why don't, we, why don't you walk through some of the more important closures, you know, the ones that are most likely to impact people's plans? Yeah, the, the two biggest ones are pretty close to us here in Salem and Portland. The first one is the closure of the Clackamas River Canyon outside Estacada, and that's in the scar of the Riverside Fire. What's important to know here is that this is not only going to impact things like rafting, hiking, and swimming on the Clackamas River, which we've written a lot about, but it's also going to impact access up Highway 224. The Clackamas River Highway leads to places like Bagby Hot Springs and the Bull of the Woods Wilderness that didn't actually burn and are technically open. It's just going to be really hard to get there with that highway closed. So for anything in that area, you'll want to check ahead of time. The best maps for this closure, you're going to want to check the Mount Hood National Forest website for the really detailed map and, you know, possible ways around it. It lays it out pretty well. As far as the acreage and impact, I think number one in the state actually has to be in the Sanium Canyon and Mount Jefferson area. And that's in the scar of the Beachy Creek and Lionshead fire. This one is huge. These are two fires that burned 400,000 acres combined. And the fire closure here is the largest I've ever seen. It basically spreads all the way from Shelburg Falls, which is just outside of Staten, not too far from Salem. And it spreads all the way north of Mount Jefferson. So it includes the entire Little North Fork and Opal Creek area, the entire Brightonbush area, everything north of Highway 22 near Detroit, and then across the northern half of the Mount Jeff Wilderness. It includes so many famous places, I wouldn't even want to try and name them all. But suffice to say, this is the one you'll need to keep the closest eye on. Uh, I did notice that Willamette National Forest just posted a really detailed new map showing the entire area and the places within them. So that's where you're going to want to go to see everything that's closed and then the stuff that's just outside it that is also open. All right. So what about for our neighbors to the south? What about Mackenzie and the North Umqua areas? They were also hit by some pretty big fires. Yeah, those are both going to be important, obviously. So just east of Eugene is uh, an area you're going to want to check on. And then east of Roseburg in the North Umqua Canyon. Those are both very popular recreation areas. 
The fire closures there are a decent bit smaller. There are some famous waterfall hikes and trails and some stuff closed, but both rivers are open to recreation. Both highways are open and the closures just aren't nearly as sweeping as a place like in the Sanium. But those four river canyons, the, the Clackamas, the Sandiam, the Mackenzie and the Umpqua, if you're headed to any of those areas, it's very important to check those closure maps. Um, the final one is down in the Red Buttes Wilderness and that's outside Cave Junction. Okay, so what if you're planning to head out to one of those places? Where are you going to find the best maps and information to find out if something's open or not? Yeah, it's tricky and, and not straightforward. I mentioned the National Forest maps, and in general, those are the most detailed. But it's complicated because the Bureau of Land Management manages some. Oregon State Parks manages others. It's kind of all over the map. The state of Oregon did try to put together uh, a digital map that attempts to show everything that's open and closed. And it's helpful, but it's got quite a few bugs. It doesn't name specific places. It's got some shortcomings. So I guess I'm going to plug the story that we wrote that breaks down each closure and has links to the best resources, like the best maps and stuff like that. I'll include that on the page of this podcast. But yeah, the information, it's scattershot. So if listeners just want to email me, please do. I can probably get you an answer pretty quick. And my email, it's at the end of every story, but it's uh, z or ness at statesmanjournal.com. I hate to sound like, you know, your fourth grade teacher, but this summer, it's really important to do your homework. Okay, so we've got the hard closures, the places you really can't go. But there's another interesting aspect to consider here, and that's the fireburn towns that traditionally host some pretty big summer recreation crowds. The two most relevant uh, here are the Sanium Canyon in Detroit and then the Mackenzie Canyon at Blue River and Rainbow. Both places had some pretty major fire damage, but are also, you know, trying to reopen and have a season. How should people think about these areas that aren't closed, but still aren't maybe back to normal? Yeah, both places are really interesting, especially Detroit. It kind of became the poster child for cities destroyed by wildfire because something like 70% of the public buildings in Detroit were lost. And in the beginning, it really looked like a war zone. But the town has some very strong-willed people that really wanted to have a season. They didn't want to lose those tourists that come up there traditionally every year. So they put they really rallied. So Detroit has a grocery store, it's got some restaurants, it's got a, a few clusters of food trucks, uh, it's got lodge rooms open, along with about seven campgrounds that are open around the lake. Detroit kind of needs tourism dollars to survive, but they're probably operating close to like 50% of normal. So what they told me was, look, come on up, go float and fish on the lake, patronize the businesses, but also be prepared to have most things yourself. So for example, Bring extra gas because there's no gas station in town. You know, there's no place to get big propane canisters. The supplies are pretty limited. The idea is that you should be kind of a self-sufficient unit, and it seems to be working okay. This Memorial Day weekend, a lot of people were up there. The campsites were full, so it's game on, you know, for better or worse. It was kind of the same story in the McKenzie Canyon, right? We just had a story in the Register Guard saying, look, they want your tourism dollars, but you better come up here with a pretty well-designed plan. Have a place to stay overnight ahead of time. Make sure the trails you want to hike are open. These towns and roads might be open, but a lot of the land surrounding them is not. It should also go without saying, but if you do head up there, don't be a disaster tourist. 
I mean, you're going to see the impact. It's impossible to miss, but don't go shuffling around on people's private property who've lost their homes. I talked to a few people up there who are not thrilled about tourists, you know, towing $40,000 boats into a disaster zone when people are still living in trailers. So be considerate, help out the businesses and don't become part of the problem. Okay, so we've talked about making sure the place you want to visit is open. We talked about what to expect in these sort of fire uh, impacted towns. But the other big limiting factor this summer is the new permit system in the Central Cascade Mountains. We did an extensive podcast on this subject a few weeks ago, but sort of let's revisit that re- real quick to see where we stand if you want to visit Mount Jefferson, Mount Washington, or the Three Sisters Wilderness. Yeah. In almost half a million acres of the wilderness between Salem and Bend, chances are good you will need a permit in advance this summer. It's the first time that's ever been the case, so this is a big deal. In the previous podcast, we kind of laid out everything about this system, including why it was installed. But at this point, the thing to know is that the permits for most trailheads will become available on a seven-day rolling window. What that means is if you want to visit a place like, say, Marion Lake on July 7th, your best bet is to log on to recreation.gov on July 1st. At this point, a lot of the advanced permits are gone, so the bulk of them are coming out in these like seven-day windows before a given date. So can you just do a quick review on where and who needs these permits? Yeah, for sure. So the permits are required for anyone spending a night in those three wilderness areas. So any backpacking trip needs an advance special permit. And then any day hike that begins from one of the 19 most popular trailheads, they also need a permit. We've got a list of the trails this applies to. And again, I'll put our extensive reporting on this subject on the the podcast page. But I think it's most important to know if you're outside of Bend. Uh, That's that's where most of the crowds are. That's where it's going to be hardest to get the permits. I've been told that there's going to be informational folks who are stationed at the various trailheads to kind of talk through people, make sure they have the right stuff. But look, it's this is a big, giant experiment that just happens to be launching the same season. There's huge wildfire closures and all the COVID-related stuff. All right. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When we return, we'll talk about how to avoid crowds, score some campsites at places like the Oregon coast, and how to factor the deepening drought into your plans. I'm Rob Freres of Freres Lumber Company. We are a family-owned wood products manufacturer and a member of the American Forest Resource Council. While steeped in tradition, we also are an industry leader in innovation and forest stewardship. The wood for our engineered wood and plywood products is harvested from sustainably managed forests within a 150-mile radius of our mill. At Freres, Our forest management approach keeps forests healthy and resilient, and our products keep carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Learn more about forestry solutions at amforest.org. Okay, so we've talked about closures and permits, but say your place is good to go on those fronts, it's unburned, doesn't require a permit. What are you hearing about reservations at campgrounds and general crowds overall? Right, so I actually just talked to one of my best sources 
um, to get a feel for what land managers are seeing at places like state parks, uh, forest service trails and stuff like that. And basically what they said is that we're seeing pretty close to a record number of people getting outside. Now, part of that is the really hot weather that we've been seeing. So crowds always rise and fall based on the weather. But, you know, the reality is that even with people getting vaccinated and life returning to normal, like the resumption of Little League and youth camps, people still just feel safer outdoors. And so they're skewing their vacations that way. What that means in practice is that if you're planning a trip, there's kind of two things to consider, or here's two suggestions. There is some capacity left at the big state parks on the Oregon coast and some other campgrounds, but I would reserve those spots now as soon as possible, as soon as you hear this, and especially before school lets out. There's a feeling out there among those who, who manage these campsites that there's still a decent amount of spots left right now. Like you can get a campsite at even the best state parks but they're going to start to go pretty quickly once the kids get out and people start making plans, you know, in force. The same goes for yurts and cabins, although those are always harder to get. Most of them are gone on the weekends at this point. I've also heard that hotels and vacation rentals are just incredibly hard to get. Most of them are already gone. So, you know, don't go out to the coast and expect that you're guaranteed to get a, a room at a hotel because, you might not. They're really booked up. People are really looking to get outside. So what about day trips? I mean, the the sort of calculus is a little bit different this year. Last year's, pan, you know, the, the pandemic during the last year led to sort of a pretty big mess at a lot of these beach access points, you know, fewer staff on site, crowded parking. But now with more options, maybe day trips are, uh, you know, not going to be as harried as they were. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the good news is that there aren't the shutdowns or these major economic disruptions like there were last year. Like last year, the shutdown led to state parks having significantly fewer people to take out the trash or clean the bathrooms. And so it led to this thing where people were just slamming these day use sites, but there wasn't the support staff there to meet the need. This year, that's changed. Their state parks is back to a pretty normal operating mode. And basically what they said is that we've returned to the 10 a.m. rule. And what that is, is if you're going out for a day trip to even a really popular beach, show up by 10 a.m. If you do that, you're virtually guaranteed to get a parking spot, even at the most beautiful, popular spot. But if you get there after 10 a.m., that's at that point, you're, you're tempting fate and you might not get a parking spot or you might have to go somewhere else. So we're back to that kind of 10 a.m. rule for day use sites. And that applies to everywhere from Smith Rock to Silver Falls to all the really uber popular spots. All right. So what if you want to leave, you know, the decision making up to someone else? What are you hearing about sort of guided trips, you know, whether it's guided rafting trip or a backpacking trip? I've heard that the demand is just sky high right now. A lot of outfitters that were down maybe 30 to 40% last year because of the pandemic are have gone the exact opposite way this year and are up about 30 to 40% and are even having trouble finding enough guides to fill the demand. So anyone looking for like an overnight trip on the Rogue River, which I highly recommend, uh, I would suggest maybe targeting September at this point. Even on the North Santee Am, right in our backyard, the outfitters are seeing pretty huge demand for these guided trips. That seems to be universal. People that might normally go to Europe or you know somewhere more exotic have kind of decided, 
hey, we're going to take vacations this year, but we're going to take them kind of in our state or in our region. And so getting on these cool guided trips, it's a challenge. And, uh, you know, well, so so be prepared. Uh, do your stuff in advance. All right. So another story that's kind of compounding and becoming bigger by the day is really the deepening drought. You know, at last check, the U.S. drought monitor had about 70 percent of Oregon in either severe or extreme drought already. We're just into the first week of June. And, you know, so how do you see that impacting the outdoor season? If you're planning a trip, how would that impact it? Yeah, it kind of looms over everything, and it's going to mean a wide variety of things. For example, Oregon is already preparing changes to fishing regulations because of how low water is impacting native fish. In 2015, which was the warmest and driest year in uh, recorded state history, the state actually outlawed fishing for periods of the day or outright in some locations. So we could see moves like that, especially as we get into late July and August. Other areas you'll see drought impact is with low water at reservoirs all over the state from Detroit Lake to, to Fern Ridge, low water levels for rafting and fishing on rivers, and of course, the dreaded phrase wildfire. Now, just because we're facing a big drought doesn't guarantee a horrific wildfire season, but it does weigh the dice that way. In that vein, I wouldn't be surprised to start seeing campfire bans pretty early this season. So before you go camping, or especially when you head out into the backcountry, you're going to want to check in on fire restrictions because chances are good that they're going to come early and often this year. All right. So we've talked about all the challenges to getting out this summer and, you know, all the things that will impact it. Can we at least kind of finish up with something like, like happy? Let's highlight some cool places to visit. What, uh, you know, what, what are some places that maybe don't have wildfire closures, don't have permits or any crazy exotic issues? Yeah, for sure. I think this is one of the best years in recent memory to try someplace new. If you've always backpacked the Three Sisters, I'd recommend, you know, checking out the glorious mountains of Eastern Oregon. The Wallowa Mountains and the Eagle Cap are pretty well known by now, but the Eagle Cap is so large that there are plenty of untrammeled places to go, especially in the southern half of the Eagle Cap, so that's a big one. If you've never been to the Strawberry Mountain Wilderness or the Elkhorn Crest Trail, those are two gems of eastern Oregon to visit. Uh, in June, I would strongly recommend checking out the Klamath-Siskiyou Mountains in southern Oregon. Uh, in the podcast that we just did about fast packing, I think it was just two podcasts ago, we did broke down 10 really amazing backpacking trips to try in that klamath Siskiyou region in southwest Oregon. And as ever, Oregon's south coast gets a lot less traffic than the north coast. So places around Brookings or Bandon, you know, those are some of the places that I would head. So the mountains of eastern Oregon, uh, the mountains of southwest Oregon, or the southern Oregon coast. All right. To end this podcast, we talked a lot about being prepared this summer. So to, to sort of tie a bow on things, why is this so important? Why spend the extra time sort of researching? Well, the issue is that when you have this many factors at play, there's just a higher likelihood for bad outcomes. And by that, I mean anything from arriving at a crowded trailhead to getting a citation for not having a permit to, you know, having a fatal accident. Last year, Oregon saw a spike in both fatal accidents outdoors and in search and rescue missions, due in part to people just not taking that extra time to understand the places that they were traveling. The bright side is that Oregon has many, many outdoor destinations that won't be crowded, that aren't particularly dangerous, and that will make for a great experience. This could be a really cool summer, but you just have to do that homework. Understand where you're going, 
you know, what it requires and have a backup plan if things don't work out. If you get to a really crowded trailhead, it's slammed, you know, know another place nearby to go. Have a forest service map. Uh, plan what to do if you don't have cell phone service. Not to echo your teacher again, but this year, do your homework. All right. We hope this sort of gives you some insight into the unique challenges that the summer is going to bring your way. But at the same time, I mean, you know, like Zach said, this is the time to maybe check out that place you haven't been before. You know, open up some guidebooks, bring up our website, head over to the outdoors section, you know, look for some some places you haven't been before and maybe just always need an excuse to check out. Here's your opportunity. So we hope this kind of gave you some ideas and and gave you some some better thoughts to being prepared ahead of time. If you like what you heard, make sure to check out previous episodes of the Explore Oregon podcast at statesmanjournal.com slash explore. We'd like to thank our sponsor, the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for the environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. Thanks for listening.